thank you everybody for coming back to another episode of fret buzz the podcast my name is aaron subject and this is my co-host joe mcmurray and today we have a very special guest with us, Mr. Cole Holland. Hey. Hi. How's it going, Cole? Great. Good to see you again, Aaron. Yeah, you as well. Thanks for coming on. Yes, very delighted. Yeah, yeah. Today we're going to talk a little bit about some education, uh, some job opportunities as we kind of always get into. Uh, I've known Cole for a very long time. Uh, he actually was a student of mine many, many, many years ago. He came to me wanting to play the solo for uh, Hotel California, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that was exactly it. That was yeah. exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I kind of got uh, Cole started on his journey into th- uh, guitar theory, and he kind of took it from there, obviously, as we, you'll see as we get into today. Um, so, yeah, let's just jump in. Um, let's uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Cole. And okay. I, I think you have a, a website as well, Cole. Ho- no, it's just Hollandaise. Right, yeah. I love my name is Cole Holland, and uh, there is another Cole Holland artist out there, so I chose Hollandaise. To kind of give, I guess somewhat of a flair, yeah, of a creative flair. To <laughs> is it, yeah, are you work, like man. a big fan of eggs Benedict? I I do enjoy good eggs Benedict, good poached egg every now and then. <laughs> is it spelled like that with the A I S E at the end? I don't know. How so it's yeah, it's D A Z E. So H O L L A N D A Z E. Oh, that's totally different. Being in a daze, like dazed and confused. Yeah, okay, you took that a different direction than I was. Mm -hmm. My head's on food, it's breakfast time. Yeah, yeah, I know, I understand, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Sounds real good right now. But yeah, Hollandaise, I do have a website I've been adding stuff to. I need to um, update it because it's been a busy year, past year. But um, yeah, I, I met Aaron... I grew up in Virginia, and I met him in Virginia. He was working at, and I still is, I believe, right? We're still yeah. working at Bach to Rock. Yep, Bach to Rock, yep. So I just started taking lessons at some point and found myself there. And then, like you said, just kind of jump-started my, uh, my need to want to learn a solo because I didn't know how to do anything, really, at first. I was just playing, like... I didn't just want to play around. Eventually. Yeah, just like and, any other player, right. just, you know, tabs off the internet. And exactly. And I will say, you know, in terms of when Cole did come to me, um, he... <sighs> Ten years ago. Yeah, it was... Um, as a teacher, you have your normal students that just come and go and they learn and you kind of, you right. know, the ones that uh, it's a hobby. Um, you also know the ones where it's not a hobby and it's something that they're a little more serious about. But from the get go, I kind of had this feeling that Cole, and I'm serious about this. Cole yeah. had this like, you had this like thing about how like it was your future and you were into it and like everything that i'd said you were like absorbed and i was like all right he's cole's got it man you've got it and you did man you just took it from it was great awesome i still had no plans to even attend uh music school at that point at all you know it wasn't really actually until i moved to florida Mm-hmm. that I started taking everything really seriously. Not that I, you said I didn't take everything seriously then, I did, but then everything kind of changed, I think, once I got like, halfway through high school. And I was like, okay, well, I also need to start working on the career path. Right. And I didn't even, at first, music was, was just music. It was my only hobby besides uh, like video games when I'm back then. So it was just playing guitar all the time. But then so, it really did turn into something special. So how did that change? How What was that transition like? Well... 
when I moved, I had to find a teacher because I, once I started taking lessons, for me, being in front of a teacher as opposed to being self-taught, I already just I felt like I was going to do better and learn more and be more efficient if I had someone in front of me teaching me and showing me visually what's going on. Right, so and holding I've, you accountable. Exactly, right. So I found a teacher, and um, he just knew – he was really big into a lot of jazz and a lot of uh, all styles of music. But he, what I'm getting at is he kind of introduced me to jazz. Like my, I never really listened to jazz at all. I've been to any jazz shows. So we started getting into theory and how to um, improvise – and I just took it. I just like dove into it, and I got really serious for a little bit, and I started getting into all different styles. But I remember when I first got introduced to jazz and what you can do on the guitar that you're not really aware of until you start listening to other styles of music and how much there is for you to learn on the guitar. Like it's, it's, it's you know, it's always it's a life's work. You're never going to learn it all. But I just got so excited, I guess, and I got really serious about it. I just. I want to really take my, take my time with it and spend, you know, five, six hours a day and see how much I could get on my fingers in that day. And just, it, it just turned, it just blossomed into this beautiful relationship with the guitar. It's true. When you, when you discover, when you start studying jazz and you realize that like there are no, there are no rules and there's no limit to what you can do. Right. Uh, harmonically really, what's or passion. what's that? So I think really it's just finding your passion. That, that happened at the time and it still is. I, I've really found that, something within guitar not just playing guitar but a, a realm of guitar that really caught my attention mm-hmm. and i really just felt a strong connection to it and that's why still to this day i spend a lot i'm about to start spending a lot more time again with like solo guitar arrangements and everything because i just that stuff really is really cool to me how you can stretch harmony and how to play guitar like a piano and everything mm-hmm. that's really cool to me yeah to be able to sit down and play by yourself without a band is uh yeah it's really nice there's just a guitar sitting somewhere you can actually do. And arguably one of the hardest things to do if you really want to put it a full show. It can, yeah. it's, it can be, it's very tough Yeah, yeah to get absolutely. to build your repertoire up. And that's one big problem of mine is repertoire because I spent so much time learning a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And now my repertoire is very vast, but all sorts of styles. Mm-hmm. And like, I just have such a strong passion for jazz and I just need to spend more time with uh, some more standards and more obscure standards because that's just an art form that you need to not you need to spend time with hours and hours and hours and hours with yeah i when i was in a when i was in music school i had a hard time putting the amount of time i needed into a song and i didn't even realize yeah. i wasn't putting in enough but i just had a hard time like memorizing everything and keeping everything straight and being yeah. able to also know the chord progression well enough to solo and right. get off the beaten path and since i've left school i've i've found that i'll spend like I'll sit down with a song like recently I've been playing joy spring Mm -hmm. uh, by Clifford Brown. And Mm -hmm. I think I spent like six hours the first day on it. Like all day, like it's all I did that whole day. And then I like for weeks I've been taking like every day I'm learning. If I learn a new lick or a new, I'm thinking about a different strategy. I do it over joy spring over that progression. And like now, like I played it at the bar last night. It's, Mm -hmm. it's like one of my go-to things. But in that, in that period of time, some other things that I haven't been working on, they fall by the, the wayside and I'd say they're not performable anymore. It's, it's a yeah. constant battle to, <laughs> yes. keep, to keep all your stuff up to date. I know it really is. And I just lost a lot of that cause I had spent the past year, uh, picking from a master list of like 270 songs of mm-hmm. primarily R and B and Motown, 
music and funk and rock and pop and yeah. a little bit some standards cool. here and there. But it's hard, you know, when we talked about time earlier, it's really hard just having enough time in the day to do what you want to do. And sometimes whether you got to focus on stuff that, that you need to do for work and then focus on yourself and then, okay, now I have an hour to, uh, to you know, brush up Don Lee or something or work mm-hmm. on a solo, something like that. But you don't always get time to do all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, just when I, when I first met you, Aaron, you know, I, I started getting into some, some pedals and whatnot. I had a multi-effects processor, mm-hmm. Boss uh, ME50, and um, it had a little looper in it. So I remember just like I would learn chords from you and learn. We'd have probably uh, definitely some scale sheets, probably pentatonic scales and some modes. Yep. I know we were working on modes as I was leaving, yep. which I've come back to actually. The basic <laughs> modes. You'd be, it's so funny how you come back to the basics and really <laughs> get that stuff under your fingers because like right. it's essential and it's mm-hmm. easy to skip over. It. But I would just put it on a chord progression, just solo, solo, and play for hours. And that's like when you have that playground, like jazz, is it gives you that space to be for as an improviser to really just go forth and do whatever you want. I and mean, you can really find so many cool, unique ways to play the same thing over and over again. These new approaches. It's like for someone who, you know, all guitar players love. Uh, improvising of course you know we live for the solos yeah yeah <laughs> but uh just that just really sparked something for me with, with with jazz and and whether it was hearing a pianist or sax player or something going out live and hearing shows it just i felt some energy i was really drawn to it so i just got sucked in and i um was studying with that guy for a while in orlando he ended up living with me for a year he needed a new place to stay so it was like free in exchange for free lessons every day oh, that's awesome he got, a, he got a free place to stay there's nothing like so, living with a teacher. <laughs> so that was absolutely that's I credit a lot of that too because you're right there every day. Like we're gonna practice and study every day. Like you see your teacher every day, and of course we became great friends. We wouldn't have lived together if it was gonna be, I think, simply just a, a teacher student relationship. It was a friendship too. You know, we were yeah. really good friends. Even no, I totally. That, that's that's how to, uh, my teacher uh, Tony and I. Yeah, uh, we he lived with me for two and a half years, and mm-hmm. every day it was like. Let's dig into anything yeah. and everything, and yeah. let's just completely just yeah. <laughs> so whether it was like you know studying players with a heavy jazz background, but then applied it elsewhere, or studying fusion. So whether it's like you know this guy was a big John McLaughlin fan, mm. so all sorts of that stuff right out of the gate. Jaco Pastorius, um, uh, Ted Green, like Alan Holdsworth, like a lot of heavy hitting uh, guitar players, okay. and studying various genres and yeah. seeing how. Um, you know how how serious all these guys take their theory and their practice and everything. And if you want to get to that level, there's a lot of stuff you really take in consideration. Sometimes you have to not even think about how you're approaching the guitar, but just how you're approaching music and the kind of headspace you put yourself in. Because you can fill your head up with a lot, a lot of knowledge and a lot of theory and a lot of stuff, and then that can all go right out the window. Whether you're in a recording session or whether you're playing live, you have to, that's one thing I definitely learned this year. Is I've got so much cool stuff I've learned and I have under my fingers. But when it gets into that real setting, when you have to apply and you're on the spot, sometimes it just doesn't come out right at all. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, videotaping and audio recording myself a lot the past year it's, does wonders for yeah. uh, somebody when you hear yourself playing live and you're like, yeah. oh, that's not at all what I heard yeah. when Self- I was playing that. Yeah, self-review is extremely important. Yeah. So for many years, it was just like I had all this cool stuff I learned and I kind of got thrown into a lot of dense music really quick and I didn't fully know what I was doing, but I would play a lot of really cool stuff and it would just sound like sometimes, oh, that sounds like John McLaughlin. I listened to so, I'd listen to so much of him like earlier on. It would be kind of like, it would just be mumbled 
like a sax player playing nonsense in the saxophone, just kind of like playing a bunch of stuff, but it was, there's no meaning. There wasn't anything, there wasn't any real melody there. So now it's definitely at this point in my life, taking a step back and realizing how you can really utilize all of that theory and knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you spent how much time with this instructor and then all the while you, you weren't pre- actually preparing for Berkeley or were you? No, I, um, well, I, I did, I was preparing for something degrees in music. <laughs> I was preparing for degrees in music right. at that point. Once he became, he became my teacher and, and lived with me for that time. Right. That was like, uh, I think I was a senior in, in high school or mm. for going or end of senior year going to the first year of college. So I, I, I went into a local university there and pretty much decided, okay, I'll do two years and get all my, uh, excuse me. Eugenics. Core classes, yeah, all that stuff taken out of the way. So when I get to Berkeley, I can just try and focus on exactly what I want to do or, or study with as many people as possible. Mm. But um, at that point, yeah, it was definitely there was definitely some sort of certainty that I was going to be doing something in music, whether or not I'd be taking, pursuing like a full like bachelor's degree, which I ended up getting. You know, that was still under question. But I definitely wanted to go to Berkeley, and my teacher had gotten accepted to Berkeley full ride. He's as a Canadian, he could not he could not. Uh, or no, actually, he got accepted because he got the scholarship. That's what he got accepted. He got the scholarship of being one of the uh, Canadian residents or something. I don't know. But then he mm-hmm. couldn't go because he couldn't pay for housing. So he um, kind of already knew a little bit of ways around the curriculum and what they might expect. So I think mm-hmm. in a way, he was kind of preparing me a little bit to, to go to Berkeley. And, okay. And then kind of just it so happened to be that I uh, did really well in my audition, got a scholarship, and ended up there in the fall of 2014. Very okay. cool. Okay. So I, this is one of the things that I'm really interested in talking to you about. Like I, I went to music school at George Mason. Okay. I was in their jazz department. Um, yeah. Doing jazz guitar. And, but I remember when I first got the idea in my head, like Berkeley was what immediately came to mind for me. Yeah. And then like, I looked at the price tag and I was <laughs> okay. Maybe instantly maybe swayed. This uh, maybe this isn't the right course of action for me. Right. But I'd really like to know what what is it about Berkeley that sets it apart from, say, George Mason's jazz program? I mean, I, I realize that there's probably things to do with the connections out of school. Um, yeah. But I mean, I, I am I'm not sure what the right answer is, but I'd like to dive into it. I mean, the connections thing is a big thing, especially at Berkeley, because you have um, if you were to go look at the faculty list of just the guitar department alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's Pat Matheny went through there. Maybe, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. He had taught there briefly at a young age, I believe as like well. 18 or 19, right? Yeah. He was one of the first and only to just run through there and already kind of, how well he already figured out all that chordal stuff and all the bitonality stuff. He had his own way of thinking about all that. It was crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's Pat. I mean, he's crazy. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> like he literally, he knew how to it's really good to stack the like the harmony and keys over one another, and make it work. But yeah, mm-hmm. I um, I believe it was like close to a hundred different guitar uh, faculty members, guitar teachers alone there, something like that. At least eighty. So you have so many people from like. Uh, David Fusinski to uh, what is the um, what is that one guy's name? Tomo. I think it's uh, 
Tomo Fujita, I think that's how you pronounce his name. But there's first of all, like a lot, there's lots of names that get attracted. So when you're when you're looking at, you want to go to the school. There's 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 a lot of kind of eye candy at first with all these names, people you can you can study with, and some really really cool courses. I mean, for me, it was it was a, a big draw for the faculty. Like I made some great relationships with some faculty members there, mm-hmm. and the diverse amount of styles, you know, because you can get so into like some sort of, I, I, very specific things. I got into a Indian rhythmic solfege while I was there, which well, was like yeah. super cool. Was like that's, there's, there, there's some courses that are provided there that you're not going to get anywhere else. But for me, whether or not you're going there for connections, of course, for me, it was partially connections, but also to get my degree. Some people go there for a year. They don't get a degree just to meet the teachers. I mean, the teachers there are world-class. I mean, some of the best of the best in the world that are, that are, that are there doing um, the labs and whatnot. I mean, mm-hmm. it's hard to find uh, somewhere where you can have like a Lenny Bro lab where you just go over stuff of Lenny Bro's uh, arrangements, you know, stuff like that. I think it's really, really unique to only that specific place. You can find stuff, you know, online now and everything, but to get all that jam packed in, in one area per se, so much talent and so much diversity in talent. It's, it's truly, it's remarkable. That's a, that's pretty it's great to hear. I, uh, I mean, it sounds like you're really satisfied with it all. I was very satisfied. I mean, yes, the the money wise, it was tough. But thank God for for the scholarship. A lot of people there, you know, that were very very good, better than me, uh, were not on scholarship and should be. I think you know. So sometimes there is that there's that divide, I guess you could say, between people. You know, when you're when you're at a school that costs a lot of money, and you see people that deserve more and don't get it, there is this there is this kind of thing there. Kind of, it might it might push you away because, well, why would I go there if I'm not going to be able to afford it anyways? Or you know, I'm just going to be right for you. I don't know. There's so many factors at play when you when you look at the price tag at first, I guess. But yeah, just, it's not like you can really. I never felt like while I was in school, I had time to have a job i felt like it's tough for, for all the effort that i was put the money and time i was putting into school yeah i couldn't like go and get some sort of part-time job that was going to pay for a little bit yeah. of school i'd rather completely you know give it my hundred percent yeah do as you know learn as much as i could while i was there and then yeah get out there and start making real money exactly yeah yeah. So I didn't do much work when I was there, but I tell you what, there's some of the the the, the variety of courses they have there. But whether it's not, because I took some amazing harmony courses as well. I mean, mm-hmm. advanced modal harmony, um, all sorts of stuff. Advanced modal, a bunch of stuff on modal harmony, and then some more stuff on like Indian uh, modes and the ragas and stuff like that. So it's just yeah. like you, you can get into all sorts of stuff. I mean, hey, you see, I didn't, yeah, exactly. Got my That's right. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I didn't even expect to get into all that stuff. You know, I was I always like uh, I'd listen to some Indian classical music every now and then, but I didn't know a lot mm-hmm. about it. So I got I got to learn a bunch of stuff about that, the rhythmic side of things, and, the, and culturally speaking, uh, where it came from, and the differences mm-hmm. between North and South India. All this all this mm-hmm. stuff. It's really, it's really remarkable. And then, we, I, yeah, we had a we did an episode. I think it was like episode. 10 or somewhere around there we did an episode on world music yeah yeah and uh we were getting into a bunch of that but i think i think the indian music is incredible too i i oh, was in india yeah. i went to india for my honeymoon actually about, nice. about a year and a half ago and we were in north india and like i never actually found it's hard to find the music while you're there really like, in a place where yeah 
maybe in if I had been spent more time in Delhi in the big cities. Yeah. I found, but I saw a lot of like folk music. Yeah. Like in uh, Udaipur down southwestern Rajasthan, they had like a very specific. I mean, I guess it's like if you're in the mountains of North Carolina, you hear bluegrass and there's right. like remnants of Celtic music coming through the right. Appalachians. And if you're, you know, out west, there's hints of Native American music mixed with, like, I'm thinking of Arizona. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it was interesting to see the the local, the different types of music in different parts of India. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think what's great about Berkeley is that they have all these ensembles too. I mean, so many different kinds of ensembles for mm-hmm. and they're and they're getting more and more like the, so every little tiny finite kind of drama, like specific kind of dramas, whether it's doing like the, uh, having an ensemble doing Indian classical music or, 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 or doing just the music of Wayne Shorter mm-hmm. or doing just yeah. uh, like a neo soul thing, you know, that's been a, a very popular thing the past couple of years, you know, and actually, one of the pioneers of it, per se, Roy Hargrove, just passed away. He did a lot for Neo Soul, just kind of bridging R&B and, uh, and jazz and hip-hop all together. And that's there's a lot of that going on right now, definitely. That's a big thing there. So tailoring to both uh, what's new and what people want to do and also tailoring to a bunch of other stuff that people wanted that they didn't know they would ever get into. Like, I didn't think I'd get into uh, any fingerstyle uh, – country stuff like Jerry Reed and Chet Atkins. And I mm-hmm. did, I did the ensemble there like six times in a row, the Jerry Reed and Chet Atkins mm-hmm. stuff. And that's, well, that was amazing. I, I learned so much more stuff about solo guitar and how to take care of your fingers, nails. Mm-hmm. Oh, these nails. Yeah. This one broke, but uh, <laughs> these are good. You can clip off your pinky yeah. and then glue it to your, <laughs> <laughs> I use my pinky though. And it actually, I, I've got, I got so much dexterity. I can, I can pick, I can pick chords easier than my pinky. That's the one thing about Lenny bro actually is that his pinky or something was deformed. So he was able to actually get a little more strength or something. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just making a joke. Yeah. Last week we had a, a classical guitarist on and he was telling us a funny story. So yeah. <laughs> check out that episode. It's, it's kind of funny. Yeah. One of the, um, some of these, the way they use, what they use for nails is hilarious. I remember um, the chair of the guitar department at Berkeley, your assistant chair, Kim Perlack, this chair now, she would use um, a little ping pong ball. She that's, would, what, that's what he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it too. She orders <laughs> these specific kind of ping pong balls and that's then cuts them up. Crazy. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. I never heard of that. Yeah, neither, neither until now. Now it's yeah. apparently a thing. That's awesome. I just think it was so cool though. With the, I specifically with the Jerry Chad Atkins thing is that there was you get people within the fingerstyle realm of guitar, you know, who either have a classical uh, background mm-hmm. or they don't really. And so a lot of these people either it's kind of funny. I think a lot of the classical players. Uh, but well, the thumb pick thing is a big thing for me. I don't use a thumb pick. So I see a mix. I see a lot of these classical players that have a big, a lot of uh, practice and time studying uh, using, you know, nylon, the traditional approach, using a nylon string, getting that finger style approach down. And then for me, I never, I, it took me a long time to get used to it, but it's so fun to see uh, how people get around the fretboard with just the way they're brought up, whether it's classical style or whether they just right. were a rock player all their life or whatever. It's, mm-hmm. it's very interesting to see how they approach the fretboard. You learn a lot just from looking at and watching other people. I mean, that was one of the best things about being face to face with so many great teachers there. And while I was at Berkeley, I had the privilege to study with like five different guitar teachers, I think. 
Yeah. Or something like that. And then, of course, you know, ensembles and labs. But just being in front of someone with such a sheer amount of talent and just watching them. Because sometimes you can't really do much, but just watch and take in as much as you can because it's kind of just so intense and such a – it's so mind-boggling when you're in the moment, like seeing somebody right in front of you, right, doing this absolutely insane thing, guitar, and you're like, oh, I'll maybe maybe be able to do that in ten, fifteen years. <laughs> so, so going into Berkeley, what was the? Because I'm sure there was an intimidation factor. How was it like actually? Because I mean, it's world-renowned. I'm sure there's lots of people, you know, who are listening oh, yeah. to podcasts who have heard of Berkeley, even in India or wherever it is across seas. Uh, we have listeners from all over the world. You know, Berkeley's got such a big name around it. Going into Berkeley, it's, uh, I I can't imagine what that would be like in terms of, wow. I was very nervous. This is a lot. Yeah. Very nervous, very intimidated. You know, I knew I was getting thrown into a place where there'd be a lot of competition. And for me, I'm a very competitive person, so the competition was good. Now, is 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 that evident? Is it, do you... Are the people there, are they competitive or is it for more of a brotherhood or, I mean, is that, is that competitive nature known? Yes and no. I mean, because the competitive nature goes as far as when you just see someone just destroying your world, like this person comes in (laughs) and they're like 18 and you are on your last semester Right. And they're just eating up everything that you spent like all this time on, you know? Right. And so there's certain things like that where it's like it pushes you see someone come in and it just really pushes you to want, want to want to play harder, practice harder, do more because it's just, you just, there's such a sheer amount of talent. There's so many people that come through there. They're, so, they're just so extremely good. It, it, oh, just, yeah. it just blows your mind. I mean, yeah. that's why I was just so intimidated going in there first. And I would have some tough times um, during like the addition, like the, the, uh, the audition process in the beginning and like the rating process, because they have a rating system there as well um, that helps you get placed in the higher level ensembles and whatnot. So just some of the auditions at first, like and being in the room with like two, three really heavy hitting faculty members mm-hmm. and, and just, I don't know. It was really, it was, it, you have to, I wasn't as good as I am now, but like dealing with stress, like I'm really good about dealing with stress now, but like that's the thing you had to be able to put aside yeah, I'm a good player because it can all go right out the window when you're nervous or when you can't get your head right and you just can't get your head clear. It all can go right out the window. And I just had – there'd be so much stuff. You know, you have all this this whole big arrangement chord solo thing I had uh, prepared when I first got there in the audition. I just went all out – I got so nervous. It just went all out the window. Like, <laughs> it came back together. It was like Moonlight in Vermont, right? I did like a Johnny mm-hmm. Smith arrangement of Moonlight in Vermont because I had been doing – going over that like before i got there right and it just like the second chorus was good but the first chorus was like rough had had to really bring it on home at the end you know (laughs) and tie it back together but um it's just it could be really intimidating but you have to not get discouraged you have to be encouraged by the fact that there's so many people that do want to share their knowledge with you they don't just want to be walking around like mr and mrs big shot and like just have this like glowing or like it's going to be floating above you. Like you're never going to get there. Like people are very open to want to help uh, teach each other new concepts and whatnot. It's just you're talking about being, students are very yeah. open, like older students or more. Yes. Both students. And of course, teachers, you know I mean? Yeah. You're not going to be a good teacher. if You're just going to no. be like, Hey, sorry. You're not going to be as good as me. <laughs> just like, so, 
that has I have a question that comes comes to mind. Uh, within the past week or two, there's been this discussion with like Rick Beato and Adam Neely about yeah. movies that are out um, and how they portray music and specifically schools. They're talking about one specific movie, um, yeah, and the brutality behind it. Um, yeah, were there any moments for you at Berkeley that were I can't say brutal, but brutal yes, yes. Um, like points where you're just like holy like wow this is very much so okay which is in my opinion a good thing i mean <laughs> it, was a really good thing. it was the best learning experience i had and it happened my last um two semesters there hmm. it was with a private teacher by the name of david tronzo he hmm. is a he's a slide primarily a slide uh guitar player that's very much in the realm of jazz and beyond. He does a lot of uh, avant-garde, even prepared guitar type stuff. Mm-hmm. But he's one of the only slide jazz guitar players I think there is out there playing bebop and straight ahead stuff with slide. And then very much so more, cool. Very much more beyond that. But that's just like to kind of give you a, in a nutshell what this kind of guy he is. He's just very out there. He's very very serious, mm. which is you have to be. Like especially with jazz, it's, you have to give respect and give credit where it's due, and you have to really spend a lot of time knowing your, your stuff there and knowing the history. And he was just really big on um, knowing history, knowing and knowing your shit. And you come in, you're not prepared. What are you doing here? I mean, it's a little thing. It's really simple. It's just like, but it's stuff that most teachers won't call people out on, right? Because it's they either don't want to create some sort of animosity between them, I suppose, or create an awkward or tense uh, learning environment. However, he would push me to go home and practice his, and that was his goal. And that's, I understand he's like, he was to push you and go home be like, Hey, listen, today was really bad. You, um, you know, I was going to kick you out within the first 15 minutes. You know, you should go home and really think about this today. And like, where are you putting your money and uh, take this seriously. Otherwise, you might as well just stop showing up, you know, it's like kind of pretty essentially like that. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're wasting my time and you're wasting yes. your time. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah. I like this guy already. Yeah. <laughs> so my, uh, my last semester I was studying with Sean Purcell and at George Mason. And I remember he was one of the first people that told me I need to drop out of bands. Yeah. He was very serious. Like, cause I was telling him like, he's like, you need more, you need to practice this more. And I was like, well, yeah. like literally, I have spent every waking moment of my life doing music. And he's like, well, I want you to tell me every waking moment of your life, what exactly you're doing. And he's like, you went to band rehearsals. Like I was like, well, I'm playing music. And he's like, how much is that paying for your schooling? How much is that paying for your future? I was like, well, it's, you know, it's the networking and it's people depending on me. He's like, no, it's, you need to drop out of the bands. Yeah. It was, that was tough to hear. It was just getting a taste of the real world, you know, and, and, and just and like talking about things like New York. He, uh, this teacher of mine, David Tronzo, has spent a lot of time in New York gigging and touring around the world. But, um, you know, just talking about like, for instance, you know, do I want to go to New York? He asked one day, mm-hmm. like, uh, I mean, sort of maybe he's like, it's just no answer, dude. I'm like, well, yes. And so just kind of like well, he's preparing me, especially, in, again, in the world of jazz in new york um it's very it's very strict and you can get essentially i guess haze if you will Mm. if you go there and you don't have your stuff together or if you show up 
to a gig uh, late or not prepared or you got this attitude. There's a million different things that could happen if you don't yourself together. And all it takes is for some one person to say something bad about you. And that one person is going to tell their friends. They're going to tell their friends. Before you know it, you've kind of been like blacklisted through in this in this town. So the last thing you want is to show up somewhere new and make a fool out of yourself or show up somewhere and not and not be prepared, not have the right energy and attitude to bring mm-hmm. forth like a very uh, sustainable and 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 energetic like creative uh, atmosphere. But just really give me a taste of the real world and real world and that uh, made a big difference in how I deal with pressure and how I deal with stress and how I approach the guitar and how I approach thinking about music. It's good. I, I know it's it's hard for a lot of people to take. I mean we are yeah. humans and we're we're fragile. <laughs> right. gonna but, be, you're gonna have a bad day before you even go in and have a worse day, you know? Yeah. That's There's exactly days where I was having a terrible day and I gotta go on to this, you know, not in the right headspace. You know, I was working on a bunch of other work and I didn't get to go through the solo piece as much as I wanted. I'm already pissing myself and you go in and it's, it gets worse. And you yeah. just have, and then it's just and everybody has those days, but um, you need to use those to grow and learn and really evaluate yourself. That's exactly why am I here and why am I doing this and how serious am I taking this? Is this, right. you know, it's it's a wake up call to a lot of people and yes. it, a lot of people need that. They need that. Yeah, it was a wake up call for me. I had that was like my second one, kind of around that time, too, of really needing to take my work seriously and reevaluating. And still, even now, like it's a big thing. I'm, I'm, I'm now how I. I go about work and what I need to do to, to really get what I want. Right. Right. Being able to see many factors, three to five steps down the road and being able to kind of set yourself up for that. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's one thing for living in the moment. Sure. That's, that's extremely important, but you always have to have this kind of grand vision of what am I working towards and what, what, what do I see for myself down the road and how do I get to that? How do I set myself up for those, those situations? Mm Mm-hmm. Despite all of this, I mean, you can make out this whole jazz scene in this playing jazz to be this really. It, I think if I was listening in, I would be intimidated right now. If I if I wasn't a jazz player and I was, yes, interested in becoming one. But I I want to I want to backstep a little bit. Like, if you're starting jazz, like you don't need to play. You don't need to start with bebop. You don't need to go out no. and Donna Lee as your first. Like that's actually stupid. I think. Yeah. Like, like if you've never picked up a guitar and you try to play a Joe Satriani song, like that's just not the place to start. Like <laughs> start with like a nice standard, something like modal, like something right. like uh so what from some exactly. like you got to start, take baby steps and enjoy the process. Right. And you don't need to go out and be able to like rip a bebop solo, like Pat right. off the bat. Like, yep. You know, learn to play your, just learn to play arpeggios and yep. play a couple notes, play less. Yeah, um, exactly, play less. That's just the problem is that, you know, especially I think as a guitar player, and this is something I learned um, when I was taking lessons again with that guy, is how much stuff I had skipped over because you get, there's so much cool and dense stuff that you want to learn. You can learn, mm-hmm. like, let's just say, you know, like, it, Look at this little air fresher guy here. So let's say that this is like the tree of knowledge and of like everything guitar, right? So everybody starts here. Everybody starts here at the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. And then like here's like your modes and like scales and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, look at this. Here's like a really cool way you can play these scales over these chords and everything, right? So then you skip like 
all this stuff, like learning all these standards, standards. Oh, here's a really intense song. Oh, I just learned this really dense song. Now I can play whatever I want. No, like you can't. I skipped yeah. over. It's so easy to want to skip over so much of the basic stuff and so much stuff that seems really boring or it's not going to take you anywhere. And that was a big problem of mine. And especially because there is so much stuff within, when we talk with any realm of music, within jazz, that it's like you, you, you can go, you can get really deep too fast. Mm-hmm. And then you find yourself, like I found myself like in the middle of all like, well, okay, I got to take a step back and go and really learn the basics. Yeah. And just because I'm stressed, I was stressed. It was stressing me out, like not being able to like blow over these changes the way I could. Like I would be able to do it for a little bit and then go back and it's all gone. You know, keep up with it. Yeah, you're like you're spending like an hour yeah. of your day trying to learn like augmented licks and, right. and, then you're, and, and it's like you yeah, I hardly even use it compared right. to the other basic stuff. And you have nothing to pull from. You gotta learn where that comes from. And right. then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it just comes out. You have to learn where all the stuff comes from and all this theory, all this really dense licks and all that stuff, it all is formed from, from very, very basic stuff. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. in the guitar. There's tons of shapes. There's putting connecting two or three different arpeggios and upper structures and like the way everything works. It, it, it sets itself out really beautiful if you take some time and take a step back. For me, I definitely really overwhelmed myself with jazz in the beginning and I, I stepped in too deep, like too mm-hmm. quick. And I, mm-hmm. I learned a couple of standards and immediately went and learned like Don Lee, exactly what you said, and had that down, right? And I was mm-hmm. like, I remember I even had it. I was playing it like 300 BPM and oh, I, was, I was making videos. So I was going to send it to Juilliard because mm-hmm. um, what Marcel's just got named the head of Jastizer, even though I don't think he's really ever there that much. But I was like, oh, I'm going to send it to Whit Marcel's and send all these people mm-hmm. and try and get like awesome starship and like, I couldn't, I would play the melody and then like solo. And then I, I wouldn't be able to like play the melody out. It was so fast. You know, it's like, you can't play what you don't know. I think um, like George Benson or someone said that when I was just having a conversation with somebody recently. And it's like, you want to play all these cool things, but you don't know where it's coming from. And you got to figure out where it's coming from before it really actually sounds good. You can yeah. play it note for note, but it won't even sound good. If it's like, if, you're, if it's so foreign to you. Yeah. Yeah, the foundations are so very important. And I truly believe that the majority of people skip over. It's like it's I was, very easy to. Yes. Yeah, I was having a discussion with Joe earlier this week about uh, we're writing something together for the future of uh, Prep Buzz, the podcast. And okay. um, I was talking about how I was taking one of my students. She's, I think she's nine years old. And I spent the last month on the circle of fifths with her right. <laughs> a right. whole month. And that's like, and then I actually looked in the, um, how Leonard method book, you know, book one or no, it's, yeah. it's in book two. And it's at the top of the page. It says key change and it's one page or, or, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, times or no, it's not time. It's keys. It's, it's, uh, you know, talking about keys and it's one page. I'm like, Oh, this perfect. is yeah okay <laughs> in nutshell, here's right. all of music all right, right moving on right now it's time to learn another song right <laughs> right so it's it's, it's amazing even in books even in method books uh and this is one of my all-time pet peeves is how every single method book will just give you what a triad is they don't yeah. actually take you through the process of figuring out on your own what a triad is and how mm-hmm. to build them within any key. They just, yeah. you know, you turn the page and all of a sudden there's your, you know, one, four, five, two, three, six, and seven. And it's all yeah. laid out for you in front of you. And you're like, I didn't, I didn't, yeah. 
I didn't go through any of that process at all. And that's a huge process that you have to go through in order for you to kind of get the foundation of. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of stuff on a page. You're like, yeah, I I guess I need to memorize this. And you do. Like for me, I memorized all that, but it took a long time for a lot of stuff to really settle in the way and which looking back on it, like when it actually clicked and made sense, you just mm. have to really apply that stuff and really spend time with it. Right. It's like a language. You have to learn the basics. It's like a, a you know, a fourth grader coming out and talking like <laughs> Shakespeare. It just yeah. doesn't, it doesn't happen, you know? And even if they did, they'd have no idea what they're talking about. You right. really need to learn the foundations first right. in order to be able to create paragraphs and essays and you know because then you have to you even have it all there so then when it's here and when you're playing Mm. you're not thinking about it right when you see these chords and you see a progression or you see one chord or something you just know you don't have to think about anything you just play yeah and all this beautiful stuff comes out flutters out just perfectly yeah and if you want to keep it to a, a basic foundation at parts sweet but then you can you know, here and there, do a little flourish of some color because you know how to and you know when it should come up yeah. and then pull it back and then bring it in and pull it back. And that's that's yeah. that's the language of music, being able yeah. to know when to speak and when to actually hold back. Yeah. I love listening to the old blues players when I'm I like I like going back to like i'll get caught up in in jazz blues tunes but then i'll like go yeah. and listen to bb king play or somebody like or that yeah i'm like oh my god he's played like three notes <laughs> you know <laughs> a few bars and they were the perfect notes oh it's amazing i mean albert king and bb king and freddie king you know three mm-hmm. kings are they're all great i mean albert king is one of my favorites because you know i just like the guitar text or someone at the show would pick up his guitar and mm-hmm. couldn't even figure out like what tuning is not anywhere close to the standard tuning guitar. Mm-hmm. The thing would be tuned different all the time. He would just be bending up to the nose. So not mm-hmm. only is he playing very simple stuff, he's also making it work under circumstances, whichever way he knows how. It's just it's yeah. he's playing it with such conviction and such feeling, mm-hmm. like that it makes such a big difference. Mm-hmm. And that's what I learned a lot of doing the BB King All Star thing this past year is playing with feeling. And I think um, it's gonna going back now in time of my life where I'm about to start going full force into learning jazz and standards again. Yeah. Is that with everything else going so going on forward though, is that time and feeling is everything and rhythm is the validator. That's uh, a quote I remember that my teacher told me, Tronzo, the really tough one I was talking about. I said, no matter what, mm-hmm. you can be playing to a crowd, everyone can connect to the rhythm. No one you could play this big fancy streaming line of, of, of notes and you you know you played um this amazing like really fast like a minor pentatonic over at b flat major seven to give it like this like mm-hmm. really cool lydian sound or something and um no one's gonna care in the audience <laughs> no one's gonna care except for like three yeah. people except right. for us three we're like yeah. oh that was really cool right yeah. that was he just nailed that everybody else is like they hear yeah and then nothing like, they didn't you didn't feel anything right so it's like you gotta present your ideas in a way to the crowd that's that's that makes sense and that's just it's such a tough thing that's when you hear these players a lot of these blues players why does it sound so good because you can hear it they, they can really hear and feel what they're playing and they put it out there and they present it in a way that's very accessible to all ears and all yeah. all kind of people like you have to make music very accessible and that's why sometimes even jazz can really straight 
people away because it cannot be so accessible at first, you know, it might be kind of intimidating yeah. or it might seem like it's really dense, you know, but there's so much other stuff going on that really what meets the ear <laughs> and the eye. <laughs> so speaking of accessibility, I've, I've mentioned this before on previous podcasts, but like I, I left school and I found out that I, I like, it was hard to find a place that would let me play jazz. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's not like a bar, like a regular bar gig, you know, it's not like, yeah. You know, I mean, even the retirement awesome. albums, they didn't want me to like. Really, they don't want to hear. They don't want to hear bebop. That's for sure. They they <laughs> like. They want to hear like Misty and Misty. All yeah, the just play Misty. They want to hear those kind of things, but they don't want to hear you play. Time. You know, bebop. But uh, I've I've started to actually take. Um, I take the jazz tunes and I'll put them with a really modern groove. Yeah. Um, with a really clear downbeat. Like I, I find that the rhythm section loses a lot of people that don't understand jazz. Yeah. Like the drum, you know, you'll be going through the, the you know, the form, and nobody even really. Hit, there's no crash at the top. There's nothing. Nobody people hits People don't know where they are. Yeah. There's no. There's no. <laughs> yeah. It's like you, you take. Yeah. Yeah. You take the same jazz tune. Like I do this with Boplicity a lot from Miles Davis and Gil Evans. Okay. It's like a super cool. I do a chord solo it's a beautiful thing. Song. Yeah, I do a chord solo thing, but I put it with my looper, and mm-hmm. I put a hip hop groove behind it. Yeah, and it starts out, and people are like, "Man, that was cool. What was that?" And I was like, "That was Miles Davis." Yeah, I'm like, no way. <laughs> Here comes the sub drop. Boom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not that crazy, but it's more. No, like, no, it I'm, I'm it grooves. It's very clear <laughs> rhythmically. Yeah. And people really like a lot of the jazz tunes. I I do Misty upbeat with an R and B groove behind it. Yeah, throw some dumb people stuff in respond there. really well. And y'all are killing me. I'm just saying. If, I think jazz. I feel very strongly that jazz needs to not be like people need to bring their noses down and like make it accessible at least in some realms like yeah you can go yeah. out and like play a jazz show at a jazz club and you don't have to you know you do it traditionally but i really like jazz that that brings in a lot of the modern you know right just because, basic rhythm anyway right. i mean i guess we could say it's musicians music to a sense but then all there's all sorts of styles that is geared towards musicians like so i think sometimes people get overwhelmed because they just don't know what's going on Mm-hmm. When they hear a lot of this stuff, it's just it's whether or not yeah whether or not you're a musician, it's really easy to get swayed to just get turned off by it. Like if there's too much going on, you get bored. Like, I don't understand what's going on. You get bored. Like you have to feel yeah yeah. It has to be accessible. Yeah. So I'm gonna go back into your time at Berkeley. Okay. And leading through your story a little bit. Okay. You at at your final semester and exiting Berkeley, what, what were your, what were your ideas? What were you thinking about in terms of your, once you actually leave mm-hmm. Berkeley, what are, what are you being set up for? And what are your, uh, you know, what are your ideas in terms of what's, what's next for you? Well, it sort of started to appear towards the end that I was getting a lot of different styles under my fingers and I was being, being molded into a pretty versatile player. So I think towards the end, it was coming out being confident that I could um, 
either get picked up to go onto a tour with somebody or do some session work, something where I could just kind of be the guy you can call and sit in and be and be willing and able and ready to to produce different styles of music in a way that's that actually comes across like like whether or not like you might fully know it, you know, because sometimes you don't fully know exactly what you need to bring forth in a certain recording session. But I think right. that I I was very well equipped to be faced with a lot of different kind of sessions and different styles and be able to do it do its justice, whether or not I might have had a lot of experience playing like uh, like Latin music or something or gypsy jazz or something like that, mm-hmm. for instance, you know, but getting a little bit of this and that here. And like, and I was very confident I was going to get work, but the thing was when I got out of there, I'm like, well, I don't know what, are the, I didn't really know actually what I was going to do. I was going right. to go back and I was going to go back. Well, I'm going to start at first. I'm going to start teaching a little bit and I'm going to start doing gigs. I wanted to really write, work on writing music. So the past couple of years I've written music and I just haven't compiled anything together. So it's like, Oh, I want to make a band. Or I want to go just try and find a tour opportunity. It was very cluttered. I was actually very cluttered here, and I didn't know exactly well, what. I, I and I asked that because I think that's a very common theme with a lot of people, where they're coming out of an institution of any sort, yeah. and they're about to graduate, and you have all these ideas of what could happen. Yeah. But then when you're thrown on the other side of that, you're kind of like, "Whoa, shit!" Yeah. Like, there's, I. In order for there to be something there, I have to make it happen. And that in itself is pretty, that's that's a huge job unto itself is to yeah. finding work for yourself. Yeah. Um, sometimes institutions have a placement program and they'll set you up with something. Right. Yeah. But, but just going out and finding that work for yourself, whether it is touring or whether it's teaching or, I mean, any of those avid studio work, yeah. that's... That's on. I think a lot of where your networking comes in, and yeah. almost on your exit of any one of those places, you yeah. have to be in that process already because there are a lot of people on the other side of it. Kind of go, okay, this is yeah. a, this is a lot harder than I thought it was, and yes. I don't know what to do with myself. And the more time that you wait. Uh, your chances of doing something within the music profession start dwindling more and more. Yes. I guess what I mentioned, you know, about the styles, like being able to come out there, that was the one thing I was confident in, Mm -hmm. you know, I could be very uncertain about the future and what I'm going to do for work, but at least I came out of Berkeley being very well equipped and I was very grateful that I actually did so many different things while I was there and did so many different ensembles. You know, I did Motown ensemble with Jerry Reed and That's all awesome. that stuff, just regular straight ahead jazz. I mean, I did everything. Yeah. Indian stuff. Um, so I was at least confident in my, and, 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 and knowing that like, well, if I, if I might pick up some work that I don't necessarily, uh, I don't want to say want to do, but you know, may kind of do some gigs. I might not re- write down your alley. At least I'm equipped well enough to be able to, to be able to, to fit into that style. Yeah. So I can work on my own stuff on the side and figure out where I want to go. But just, I felt very well equipped to be able to do this and that and pick up work. But it was like, you know, all of a sudden you're about to leave and you have nothing serious set up. You're either going to like or go do an internship. You're going to move back home. You know, you're going to hang around Boston for a little bit or hang around where you were around the teachers and students kind of and, and see if you can make something happen. You know, I was working with, I was working with some teachers there. One, te- this one of the guys in the gospel department. I got really big into um, uh, gospel while I was there, mm-hmm. and they have some very good uh, ensembles there. Dennis Montgomery the Third, 
is a good friend of mine. He um, had actually pretty much he started like the whole gospel program there, if you will, like back in the eighties. And there's, he has like six, seven different ensembles from Negro spirituals to men's gospel, women's gospel and uh, overjoyed. And I spent a lot of time playing with him. And it's like, he kind of, I was kind of going to hold on to as long as I could, I think to also, you know, hanging around, which I see people do like kind of hanging around teachers they made friends with and, and seeing that they can get work. But you have to understand that you can't just hang around somebody that already has a good thing going and yeah. like expect them to kind of, Bring you in. There's only so much somebody can do before you really have to to, to be looking out for yourself. Right. And yeah. although I was very grateful to kind of spend as much time as I did with that particular teacher and be able to work with them as much as I did, you got to go out and do your own thing and, and throw yourself in, into the middle of it and be okay with not exactly knowing what's going to happen. But you need to make sure you're well equipped for any and everything. Right. You know, like so I didn't come out there as just a straight ahead jazz player. I didn't come out there as just like an R and B. You know, I'm going to play my, my minor nine shapes right, everywhere. Right. <laughs> you know, like some people make that stuff sound really good. You know, some people have one thing they stick with because they sound so good. You can play, someone can just play a straight blues shuffle way better than someone else can because right. they just, that's just, they sound really good doing it. Right. You know? So for me, I was like, okay, well, I can sound good enough doing multiple different styles and some styles I sound very strong in. So at least I'm very confident, very grateful that my time at this particular school, Berkeley, enabled me to be able to, to have uh, so many different learning experiences. And they had um, the Creative Element Center there, of course, which I went to. And pretty much what I was instructed there was, which I had not been doing, was to get my uh, online resume set up, if you will, which includes uh, Instagram for the most part, a website, and uh, LinkedIn. But I don't really think LinkedIn is that efficient for musicians nowadays unless you're trying to get a job like uh, within – a school network of schools or um, possibly doing some more corporate stuff or maybe working for like uh, parks, music parks or something. But mm-hmm. I was instructed when I left there was to get my online presence uh, as strong as I can. And like, mm-hmm. and then to just to get content, build content. And that was right. one thing I've been trying to do a lot this year and mm-hmm. continuing in the next year. Did they have any classes at Berkeley? Like, music business classes like oh yeah do your personal you know oh, yeah how to and set up your website how to set up your teaching studio how to do your taxes all sorts of stuff man and you would you know looking back on it now i should have utilized a lot of that a lot more but i chose mm-hmm. to utilize other stuff more i chose to go to these really cool <laughs> classes and these concerts and stuff where i could have you know that day maybe i shouldn't have gone to that recital maybe i should have gone to the hour lecture on how to um, what it what what how to copyright something what is copyright you know th- little things mm-hmm. like that that you now i i have to look up and figure out like well damn i kind of missed out on some of that stuff you know yeah and we- they did and they did offer a lot of that it wasn't just you know straight music they have a music business uh program there and they have mm-hmm. some great teachers there I, I had one of my good friends who graduated the music business department and um, i took some classes there and it was very good very informative it's easy right. to overlook all that. Everybody wants to overlook all that when you're just surrounded by a bunch of talent, a bunch right. of really cool courses, and you just want to play, play, play. You know, that's what yeah. you want to do. You want to go there and just play your butt off, and um, and just jam with friends, and after just going and get renting an ensemble room for four hours and just playing, and you know, <laughs> which is great. You need that. You learn a lot by being around other students and whatnot. You know, everybody's studying from somebody else, and everybody's trying to bring something forth, but. Again, you have to, I didn't. I wish I had taken a step back like I am now, 
and really reevaluating how I think about myself as a musician and how, how I think about uh, music business and how much you really need to be well equipped in the world of the music business and know your way around um, yeah. uh, advertising yourself because essentially mm-hmm. all of us coming out of there, you know, we're all in business for ourselves. We're all entrepreneurs. Yeah. You know, I, I created an LLC for myself. I am my own company so I can start to write off all the traveling, all the driving and all the gear. So I get mm-hmm. some, some tax write off order for that, you know, because the, you have to start doing little things like that. Now I feel like to try and save as much money as you can. And then we are in business for ourselves. And it's, it takes a lot more than you think. You really have to spend a lot of time. I need to write out a plan as one of my goals. So write out a big agenda, the plan and see where I am right now and where I want to be and try to mm-hmm. get some organization because we don't have any organization at all, which I'm again, was really poor with and getting better at, at now, but it really helps to have some sort of plan and be a little organized and if you don't get to where you want to be, like you can't get discouraged. A lot of my friends um, are having to work regular jobs because they just they wherever they might have moved to where they are right now, it's hard to get work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whether it's just a normal gig or whether it's a wedding gig or just steady work, you know, just because some of this work is not steady. I'm very thankful that this cruise thing. That's one of the best things about the cruise gig is that it is steady. So how did that? How, so okay, take again. Oh, you were gonna say something, Joe? Yeah. Before we jump, I wanted to I wanted to go back to the you you mentioned being an LLC. So I yeah, you started your own. I don't have that, but I do write off all of those things. I uh, I you can still I log, do it. Yeah, I log all my mileage to and from lessons, gigs, all of my equipment is on a sheet, and they actually do like I do the um what's it called when you're when it becomes less valuable each year uh d- deduction i do i get depreciation. oh yeah right right um Same there's a lot of attention economics right what's that oh so economics. Pay, yeah. a little, pay attention a little more now it's all paying off yeah <laughs> i mean you gotta be i say this all the time but like i have an excel spreadsheet my master one for the year yeah i log every invoice every time i was paid for that invoice there's color codes and i like People in the real world don't pay you off, like, and often not on purpose. They will lose the invoice, and like yeah. three months later, you're like, you know what? I never got paid for some gig, and like, right. you got an email, and they're like, oh, sorry, yeah, got lost. Like, you got to be really organized and look after your yes. look after yourself. Um, one of the best classes I took at George Mason was called the Art of Teaching Music. Okay, and yeah. The first half of the class, so they had they split it into. Uh, two parts and the first half was all focused on actually teaching private lessons and like we would actually do you know we would teach each other or she even brought in the teacher brought in some of her private kids um, like kid kids to and yeah. we would as a class somebody would teach them and everyone would like sit around and watch and then we'd analyze what they did and stuff very helpful for like thinking about how to approach private lessons how to not come across as a know-it-all and above right. their head and like how to get down on their level and talk about things that are meaningful. It was great. Yeah. That part was great, but I really, really got a lot out of the business side of it where we literally had to write our own like a uh, pr- private studio mm. um, business plan, uh, you know, the kind of thing that you give out to your, your students the first day you, you have them like, here's my, late policy here's my yeah yeah Yeah. like 
if you're not, if you miss a lesson, you're either, you have to decide whether you're going to charge them for that lesson. And it, right. it's much better to be upfront about these things than to just like let people walk all over you. Cause yeah. if you don't have a policy. A lot of times they're like, ah, it'll be okay. Right. Uh, yeah. We learned how to do, we talked a lot about taxes in that class. Yep. A lot of real world stuff. And I use that so much today. Yeah. Like every day. I, I mean, maybe well, I was like, older when I went back to school. Yeah. I, think I was 25 when I went back and okay. I had already spent four years working professional job. And I, yeah, I knew that I was very aware of how fortunate I was to be back in school. And it seemed like yeah. a dream come true to me. And I was surrounded by 18, 19 year olds who were, I love them, but I, <laughs> I was in a different mental place. Oh, entirely different. And it's so interesting. When all those couple of years can be such a difference between, you know, when you go to college, 18, 19, for me, when I was there 20, going on 21, going to Berkeley, I, and I was there until uh, last year. Mm-hmm. But like how much, the past three years, I'm 24, almost 25, like the past three, four years, how much uh, I've changed, like and how, how I think about myself mm-hmm. and how I think about where I'm going and how I can help take care of myself and my career can make such a big difference. And, you know, it's like you really need to kind of almost construct your own kind of curriculum, your own kind of syllabus for yourself based on yeah. where you're on, where you're going, give yourself at least some sort of structure because it's so hard to have absolutely no structure and not having any certain no boss. Uh, yeah, exactly. So you have no direction, which then becomes very terrifying. That's what's very scary mm. is that when you don't have at least somebody breathing down your neck, being a complete, you know, just evil person, you know, like there's times when I was like, I was really having a tough time having taking lessons with one teacher at, uh, at Berkeley, but, and you get pissed off in the moment, but then once all that's gone, you realize how much, you needed that and you'd still need it or you would like to go through that process on a, on a new level, you know? So it's yeah. like, yeah. And that's, that kind of goes back to what I was saying before is, is that, you know, when, when you're in school, you have direction, you have yeah. to show up at this time for this class and you have to be over here to do this. And you have an ensemble at this time and these right. people are depending on you and this team is depending on you and you have all this work that has to be done because, well, I signed up for it. Right. And, and now that I'm out of school, none of that exists right. at all. And that's really scary. <laughs> yeah, it's some, very people, scary. some people can't do that. They yeah. need a boss. Yeah, uh, exactly. And you, with, within your personality, it's very important that you know that. Like, am I the kind of person that can lead and make my own decisions and make my own path happen? Or do, am I the kind of person that I need somebody to push me? Yeah. I need somebody to kind of lead me along because otherwise I don't end up doing it. You get comfortable. Then mm-hmm. you're comfortable with where you are, but then still you get in this weird headspace where you're comfortable with where you are, but then you're also fed up with where you are. Right. And then you just all of a sudden you just don't. Right. Because you're not find, used to getting thrown into that. Right. I find I, I get pushed. Uh, even though I don't have a boss, I have like hundreds of bosses, like every <laughs> parent right. of every student is right. my boss yeah. every bar owner or whatever they're all my bosses and i i find that provides a lot of motivation for me when i have yes yeah, yeah but like i had to get this- to that point is that that's my point is that in between now you have the bosses but before you didn't have any of those bosses you know what i mean so yeah. it it took your personality 
to create that environment to have bosses. There are people that I would venture to say there's a lot of people that don't have that initiative to go out and make that happen. If you don't have any initiative, I, I don't I don't know what to tell you, but right. you got to have some amount to go out and find something like at least walk across the coffee shop and be like, I'd like a gig. They ask right. what type of music they like. We only want acoustic. Well, there's your motivation. Like, okay, well, I've been playing in ensembles and bands and stuff. I need to, I need to shed acoustic, you know, my mm-hmm. finger style for the next few months so I can get this gig. Right. Yep. You know, that's just an example, but like, Oh, you want to teach piano students? I need to brush up on my piano playing mm-hmm. to be able to really market myself as a beginner intermediate piano teacher. Right. You gotta have, you gotta have some sort of, some way to make money. There's yeah. gotta be something that you've decided you want to go out and do and set that goal for yourself. It's just really disheartening when you have a lot of these great musicians, people I graduated with, and then you have to go through the conversation and then like, well, I'm not getting work right now. I'm working at this so-and-so just to get by. Mm-hmm. And right. for them, it's very frustrating because you just spend all this money and it might not even be something you can control when you're just not getting work. Maybe you had this whole plan and it just fell through. Sometimes in this world, it's really hard to know where your profession in the world of music is going to take you. Yeah. But you have to have a plan, you know, that's something I need to. So one of the, one of the wonderful things about George Mason, I mean, they, I think that George Mason's jazz program was, was really great partially because we had, um, big in Washington DC in that region. Like my teacher, one had Rick Whitehead had been, he did 10 years with the airmen of note. Um, Mm -hmm. and then Sean Purcell is the current guitarist for the Navy Commodores. You know, they're playing like presidential events. They're like, we have a lot of the big stable military bands in the region. And most of the professors had been involved or were involved with that. And there was also Kennedy center, which provided a lot of, you know, professional classical music and that sort of thing. Yeah. But George, all that being said, and I love our jazz department, the music education department at Mason was really serious. And they spit out like they claimed like like 90 something percent of their students got a job like walking out the door because they were going to work. They placed all the graduates almost into the school systems to teach, um, which I thought was really incredible. Very that, nice. Yeah. Like that is a serious like. You go into music education, you go into this program, you're going to walk out the door with a job. Right. If exactly. you get through it. And uh, I, was, I was always impressed by that. And it inspired my, my route. I took all the music education classes. Like I took upper strings and lower strings and I took mm-hmm. uh, woodwinds and things like that to just because I, I understood that George Mason had an emphasis on music education. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, but another thing with all those military bands, there was a lot of, uh, we almost always, or we often had military um, recruiters in our lobby. The yeah. Hall lobby. And I mean, I know a lot of guys that went the military route and you graduate from school, you go right down, like if you join the Navy band, you go right down to the Navy School of Music mm-hmm. down here. In, it's near Virginia Beach. All right. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's technically in Virginia Beach, but. It's uh, you know, you got like a eight eight hour a day job where you like practice music and do your thing, and you you know you travel around the country playing music and it's for yeah. a good cause, and you know it's it's a serious job. Yeah, you get paid like 
I don't know, 50, 60 grand a year to go out and play music. Right. That's terrific. In, in the surface of, you know, the country. Like, you're trying to, you know, promote patriotism and, you know, make right. people aware of the military. So it's you're doing something positive. Yeah. And you're making a lot of money. So for all the people that haven't thought about it, the military music route is a very serious route. I mean, you do end up playing a lot of, like military music but that's not all it is right anyway i just thought i'd throw that out there there are some very specific directions you can go coming out of school if you if you know about those directions right and 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 not be afraid to just go and do that for a bit because you're gonna have to do something no matter what yeah just money coming out of college it might not again like i said it might not be something you're going to enjoy or it might be something just to bring money in and then you can focus on what you want to do on the side you know i had one teacher tell me uh, Rick Peckham, who was in charge, he used to be, uh, I believe, assistant chair at Berkeley, but now he just he runs the uh, the, the Jerry Reed and Chad Atkins stuff and does a lot of that and has a couple of other courses he teaches. But he was like, um, he remembers just doing a, some tour with like a bar band and he would just spend all his time in the hotel after the shows uh, practicing reading and practicing all the, through all these books to prepare himself to be an educator at some point. Mm-hmm. And he got to where he wanted to be. He had to, he had to do a gig he didn't want to do, really play music he didn't really want to play. But he got through it and he and he equipped himself to be where he is today and where he has been for the last, oh geez, over 30 years. Mm-hmm. And he's loving every moment of it. He gets to travel the world, uh, goes to India, Hong Kong, like all crazy places. That's terrific. Well, speaking of traveling all over the world, I know Aaron was trying to bring it up a few minutes. Yeah, ago. yeah. Let me, just, no. let me go to the bathroom. Can I go to the bathroom real quick? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go. Go, go. Yeah. We're definitely gonna not edit that out.